0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. We're presented by progressive insurance guests join us on the goodyear hotline we have a great show lined up for you we've got steph at msg tonight trying to break the record and in addition to that we've got the warriors president and coo who's going to join us to talk about steph and the warriors success and a new partnership that they're doing we've got an incredible great moment in vikings history that you must hear you must hear. I was crying laughing. Uh, I don't know how this slipped away from us for so long, but now that we found it, we're going to share it and you're going to love it. Uh, We're also going to talk a bunch about the crazy wild playoff picture in the NFL and everything going on in the NBA. So Courtney, we have a lot to get to on this Tuesday. Are you ready? I am ready. Of course, we have to start with the very worst, which is COVID in sports. Gosh darn it, we just did this yesterday, and Fitz and I honestly have been talking about this for months on this show. The fear that we had that there would be more potential COVID possibilities, um, positive tests, postponements, uh, athletes missing time, this season than last for a number of reasons. Uh, For one, there is certainly a sort of letting down of... Of your, you know, senses—a false sense of security because of the vaccine. Less care taken with protocols. The longer that this goes on, um, obviously, we know that the change in weather, time spent indoors as we head into the winter months, is a, is a part of it. There are new strains that that might be more resistant to the vax. and then the waning protection from the vaccine for those who haven't yet gotten a booster. All of those things combining are certainly a part of this. I also reached out to an expert friend of mine who studies epidemiology and the spread of disease globally. And I asked if I'm missing anything. And he said, yes. And he said he would get back to me with it. So hopefully I'll have that. But um it, all of it combined to create across sports in a, in a number of different ways, um, a real disruption, including Bulls practices and games postponed, NHL games postponed, Lakers practice today. You've got a Nets list at seven in protocols. You've got nine on the Rams that are in COVID, uh, including OBJ. You've got eight for the Browns, including Landry and Teller. I mean, across the board, all of a sudden it feels untenable, Courtney.
2: Yeah, from September 5th through November 27th, there were 110 player positives in the NFL. Mm. There's 62 in the past two days, Mm -hmm. and – not everybody is going of that group is it's has tested positive. Some of those people are probably close contacts or or what have you Um, like on the entire COVID list that you see the COVID-19 reserve list, whether it's for the active roster practice squad, but there are 62 players that have tested positive. So there's an even bigger number there of people that have been moved to these lists, which I think is just so disheartening because we knew that this was probably going to happen. It felt like we had a grasp on this for a while. Mm-hmm. but this is the nature i guess of of everything with this disease with with the vaccines and like you were talking about the effectiveness of of the of the vaccines and how long the, that way is that last without you know the NFL now is saying that if you are if you are tier 1 and tier 2 and able to get a booster you have to do it before the 27th of December so they're encouraging it because they're trying to, you know, put their thumb on this and contain it as best they can. But it kind of feels like we're, we're teetering on the edge of something being out of control because 62 in two days is, is astronomical.
1: And I don't know what the answer is. Uh, we do know that the NFL, I'm sorry, the, um, the NBA is now requiring Tier 1, so that's coaches, staff, anyone who has a really close contact with players to be boosted, um, and that, of course, they're encouraging players. Um, it, it feels like the NFL potentially is, in, is doing enhanced protocols across a number of the teams that have increased uh, cases, right?
2: Yeah. And I mean, a lot of teams right now are in these enhanced protocols, which, you know, the Vikings, the team that I cover for ESPN.com, they're dealing with it too. They've got, I believe it's eight now on the COVID-19 reserve list, including players that are on injured reserve. So not the players that are, they're in the building rehabbing, but not the players that are in meetings and all of that. It just shows you it's kind of everywhere in these facilities, which makes it, even scarier, so that means an increase in the, in the testing cadence, masks for everyone, and right now we don't, we haven't seen what we're seeing in the NBA, where that Lakers Bulls game had been postponed, and they're you know trying to work around the time of that for Sunday. Right now, all the games that are scheduled to take place in Week 15 in the NFL are currently still running as scheduled. But if this thing gets worse, and Sean McVay was hinting at it today earlier, when you know hours after they beat the Cardinals on the road on Monday night football, they're putting eight guys on the COVID-19 reserve list. And that comes after they had to put Jalen Ramsey and Tyler Higby on before Monday night football yesterday. So Mm -hmm. he was hinting that there's going to be more without going into specifics of who like that makes it, you know, there's already eight players on that list. You mentioned the Browns at the top of the show. They're dealing with it as well. The Vikings are dealing with it. Like a lot of teams right now are in this intense protocol. And I don't think you're going to be seeing that number shrink anytime soon.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. You know, I wonder if there's any part of us that now has to question the honesty of these teams when we find out that significant players, important players, test positive hours after a game ends. Is there any part of you that wonders how this testing process is being done and whether there are any... It's, I don't know, you know. I don't think that there are independent folks outside of the team that conduct this or would be able to, you know, push through a test. Um, but maybe, but maybe that's the case. Do you know if there is an independent group of people that would be able to say this person cannot play? We have just, you know, they've just tested and now they're out. Or well, I mean, is it possible it's the, that teams can manipulate that?
2: It's the bio reference people. That's who the league's COVID testing arm. That that's what that is. So they send those things to labs that it's not done at the team's facility, like where the testing results come from. But I don't really know much more than as far as like, is there somebody like an, an independent arbiter who basically says, absolutely not like you can't try to manipulate this test, but there is something you brought up a point that I, that I, it's going through my head. So Alexander Madison, who is a backup running back for the Vikings tested positive and he was placed on the list yesterday. He's unvaccinated. So he has to miss 10 games how is dalvin cook not a close contact in that situation mm-hmm. cook is not right. vaccinated um and it's a situation that just doesn't make a whole ton of sense to me like where would you have been socially distanced and like how would you not have been a close contact you're in the running back room being this happened on monday they were just at a game together on thursday it just seems a little suspect when you You're right. Like, with all these, it brings up the question of, like, are they actually being completely forthright about it? Or is there some sort of competitive advantage to be gained here? I think it's a fair question to ask because some of it just doesn't add up when you think about who's around who, who you see around each other at practice, at games, all of that. And then just like, just knowing how the facilities are structured and how they work. It, it just feels like some of those things don't make a whole ton of sense. Like if one player gets knocked out, then there's another unvaccinated player that probably should be going with him onto that
1: list. And what we're learning now from Delta and Omicron might mean that the lessened protocols for those who are vaccinated don't make sense anymore, that the extremely heightened protocols of last year um, were, were the right move now. So the expert got back to me, R.P. Eddy, incredible author and has done work on this for a long time, Basically, the context of the study that he sent me about Omicron and and the blind spots that we have with it right now is that we were already in for a rough winter, particularly in the northern areas, uh, northern climates. 76 million unvaccinated Americans. Delta is five times more transmissible than previous strains, and Omicron is much more transmissible than Delta. But we don't yet know the virulence, which means we don't know how dangerous uh, Omicron is, how how dangerous it is for you to actually get very sick if you get it we just know that it's very easy to get but because of that exponential growth even if it's not that bad for you if it gets out to more and more people that's more deaths and more you know people who are positive for it more overload in the icu etc so basically there's a ton of blind spots right now as they continue to try to study it um but because it's so transmissible it means you can catch Omicron in places where you really weren't worried about getting COVID before, which I think can probably speak to a whole lot of this spread across sports. We'll get back to this. We'll also keep you updated on that Warriors-Nicks game tipping at 7:30 Eastern, where Steph's going for the record at MSG. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Commercial insurance, though Progressive Insurance protects your business and your dream. Choose from over 30 coverage options at progressivecommercial.com. Coming up. A great moment in Vikings history.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin with you, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, SiriusXM XM channel 80. I mentioned earlier, Steph Curry still going for that three point record. We wanted it to be 16 in one night, but that didn't happen. Didn't happen last night either, which sets us up for the possibility of breaking it tonight at MSG, which, of course, would have a little bit of extra pageantry. Here's Steve Kerr after last night's game talking about Steph tonight.
0: Well, I'm, I'm resting Steph tomorrow, so. Is uh, <laughs> to that true? Are you excited for sure? No.
3: Just um, so we're good. I just. just there's, a, there's a good chance Steph
0: will play tomorrow. Couldn't resist.
1: Uh, love it. I also love Friedel. Oh, uh, just uh, want to make sure. Uh, my buddy, Nick. Always, oh, you know, you got to You got to ask. You never know when someone's being sarcastic. Kind of like, you know, Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee talking about COVID toe. Uh, you, you never know when someone's joking. Um, we will keep you updated on Steph. But... Courtney Cronin brought to us a magical piece of history today. The kind of joy we all need especially as we are being smacked across the face with a wake-up call with COVID and Omicron and sports. So we're going to have a little fun right now. Courtney, this is the great moment in Vikings history that you stumbled upon on Twitter. What was the name of the account that brought this to us? I think it's Old Football Takes something yes, like that something old history old, old timey i believe it was uh, to make it even better it was old time football is the uh, is the account and here's the story of a vikings halftime show from december 14th of 1969
4: minnesota in december is a winter wonderland although a bit on the chilly side There are many quaint winter carnival pastimes. But some things can get out of hand. More than 40,000 watched in disbelief as a hot air balloon carried an 11-year-old boy over the light towers and eventually dumped him in the icy Minnesota River. It was a tough act to follow.
1: Okay, first of all, the way just casually threw out that a young boy was in a hot air balloon that rose up out of the stadium and over the fans and the lights and then traveled and then dumped him into frozen river. Yeah, it was a tough act to follow, but there was some football after that. Like what's going on? Music in the background is just incredible. Just setting the scene where this kid could have died.
2: (laughs) And I love how if you, if you, there's videos about this on YouTube, I encourage everybody to go um, do a little research on it because it's, it's truly hilarious when you think about just the amount of tragedy they could have avoided. They avoided here. Where he could have hit those really, really hot stadium lights at the old Metropolitan Stadium, and that would have been absolutely tragic with a gas-powered hot air balloon and right. an explosion right. that would have happened. But mm. he, yeah. he he floated away, and that's like the thing where he – I think the, the funny part is where he – gets in like uh, the the crosshairs or at least the Wait, hold FAA on. I have a story. Pattern. Let me
1: let me read it, okay? CBSlocal.com did a, a revisit of this 50 years later 2 years ago. And I'll just read you a little bit because um, he is now a Minneapolis attorney. His name is Rick Snyder, and he's remembering the moment and here's a couple a, a couple points about it, okay? So at first his mother was supposed to be in the hot air balloon that was owned by his parents and they were previewing the St. Paul Winter Carnival and then they were going to put it on a 200-foot tether, take it up in the air, and then bring it down the length of the field and take it back down. But the balloon wasn't lifting off the frozen field with her in the basket, so she got out and her smaller 11-year-old son jumped in. That worked great. The problem is the rope connected to it somehow failed. So an entire stadium of fans watch as this 11-year-old boy, solo in the hot air balloon, keeps going up, up, and away. As you mentioned, narrowly misses scorching hot stadium lights. Uh, people thought it was part of the show that the balloon was supposed to fly out of the stadium. So they're clapping, they're excited. Unfortunately, he is now flying, as you mentioned, into the path of oncoming air traffic at MSP Airport, okay? So now the Federal Aviation Administration has to close air traffic while the balloon starts going southeast. He's in the air for three miles. This 11-year-old is in this balloon by himself flying through air traffic for three miles, And somehow he knows to release some of the hot air. Apparently his parents said maybe he'd been in the balloon with them before. So the balloon quickly descends directly into the Minnesota River, full of frigid waters and slush. So it tips. He gets thrown into the into the river. The balloon keeps going because now his weight is not holding it down. So he's swimming through slush 25 yards to shore. A photographer happened to be there and takes a photo of him climbing onto the riverbank. That guy brings him back to Metropolitan Stadium where he's checked out by the Vikings team doctors. They put his wet clothes in the dryer. They don't tell his parents because there's no cell phones, Courtney. So they're in hot pursuit of the balloon searching and following the path of it they get to it in a field but he's not in it anymore so they lose it because they think he fell out of the balloon at some point but thankfully there's some CB radios they tell the parents you know the kid's alive he's back in the locker room all of this all of this is unbelievable to me but I just love the presentation of old-time football with like you said the great music and the happiness when this kid could have died like 11 different times
2: The part to me that is so 1969 versus 2021 is that if some random person just took this kid and brought him back to the stadium, they wouldn't just let him in and then just throw his clothes into the dryer and dust him off and he'd be good to go. They'd cavity search him. A, they'd probably give him, say, go this way. This is the way you get to the, the locker room. And then it would take him around the other side of the stadium because everyone gets lost in stadiums nowadays. Right. And It's just amazing to me how nonchalant it seems that this whole thing was treated at the stadium. It's like, oh, he's back. Okay, cool. Let's just dry him off and rub some dirt on it and and get back out there. (laughs) Want to catch the Um, end of the game, kid? (laughs) I mean... Why is it the thing, The other part of this that kills me is that the mom jumped out and the son jumped in. So it's like, okay, like was this the plan? You were just going to have your eleven-year-old just rise up and if you couldn't go, they, that's totally cool. Just let your eleven-year-old I mean, kid fair, go in the hot air balloon. To,
1: it was supposed to only be two hundred yards up and right back down. I I guess the part where they said the rope didn't work. I knew I wanted a bit more detail there. Like can we get into some details of why the only thing preventing you from flying into the air up and away was a rope that somehow was not checked.
2: Yeah, it doesn't feel like they took the proper safety measures to make sure right. that an incident like this wouldn't happen. <laughs> can you think about the lawsuits though that would be a part of this today, even though it was the parents' own hot air balloon? Oh um, incredible. I can't even I can't even fathom what that would look like today. But I mean it's 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 funny now in hindsight and I think Um, Rick was actually on local radio in Minneapolis this afternoon talking and reliving this. I guess it's something that he does pretty regularly, you know, when the one year, when the anniversary comes up every year, but my goodness, like, it's funny to look back on now, but can you think of like any worse scenario that could have played out than him hitting the lights or the balloon popping and and drowning in the river? Oh my God. There are a lot of bad things that could have happened. Oh
1: God. Uh, You could check it out. Um, Old Time Football is the Twitter. And then go to CBS Local uh, and read the story. I was in shock. Vikings halftime hot air balloon disaster recounted 50 years later. Also, we want you to tell us if you can recall some sort of ridiculous thing from your own team in the past. Maybe something that seemed quaint at the time and you look back and you're like, what's going on? Uh, It could be a near disaster. It could be an absurd halftime moment. Tell us one of these kind of known stories about your team that haven't gotten to the national public yet. We want to share them at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin, at Spain and Fitz. You can hit us up on Spain and Fitz Nation, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, Coming up, we're going to keep talking about Steph and the Warriors and his record and also a new partnership for the Warriors, Spain and Fitz.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Brilliant stuff from Steph Curry. You know, uh, he clearly could have gotten the record in in one game, hitting 16, but he's just dragging it out. He's just improving viewership, keeping us on our toes. It's really one long tease for the inevitable of him breaking the three-point record, and he is likely to do it tonight at MSG, at least we think so. He, he might drag it out a little longer just to keep us watching It's spain and Fitz, sarah spain courtney cronin filling in for fits on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 we're presented by progressive insurance and joining us now on the goodyear hotline warriors president and coo brandon schneider brandon thanks for the time thanks for having me on we're going to get into your new partnership just announced with ftx cryptocurrency platform and NFT marketplace. But I want to talk, Steph, uh, as far as you're concerned, is it, was it more fun if he did it in one night with 16? Are you enticed by him dragging this out? Or uh, how's this been for you the last couple games?
5: It's been amazing. Um, Look, I think it was pretty amazing, the frenzy. What human being would you think could hit 16 threes in a game? (laughs) You know, he got asked an innocuous uh, question after the game, before that game. Hey, you know, you need 16 or you need to do it at home. And he said, anything's possible. And then it was this whole frenzy, the building's looking for him to do it, which, you know, Clay Thompson's got the all-time record with 14. But if anyone could hit 16, it'd be Steph. I think he would have liked to have done it at home. Um, But look, I think, if he can hit two tonight to do it at Madison Square Garden next to doing it at home, that would be pretty special.
2: Brandon, you've been with the Warriors for 19 seasons, so you've seen the very beginning of staff. You saw what the NBA was adjusting to as he started shooting the ball out of the building every single night and how the NBA and now, all these years later, have adapt- has adapted to the three-point explosion. I guess when you see him on the cusp of another big record, like he is potentially tonight. Oh, how do he you just tied
5: it?
1: He just tied it. He just did it. Well, there we go. I mean, I, it didn't take long. You're
5: you're, did... you're ahead. Of, you're, you're ahead of the T E in my office. Uh, so now I know he's about to hit this three. <laughs> yep, it went in. <laughs> there it goes.
1: All right, all right. <laughs> well,
2: on that note, I mean, Still how time. do you how do you surmise kind of the I guess the growth in really what he's done to change this game and making the three point shot like a huge part of basketball today.
5: Yeah, I I think you said it well. I mean, he has completely changed the game. You know, people compare him to Michael Jordan in that way, quite frankly, that he's been one of the most influential players in the history of the league. And I I think that's right. Um, You know, you have kids shooting threes. got more and more players shooting high volumes. Oh, he missed his second one. Um, <laughs> high volumes uh, of threes like his. No one's doing it like him. He's making five and a half a game this year, which would be another record for him. But he's completely changed the game. That's for sure. I think the efficiency with which he does it, um, what he's done to help us win. So it's not just individual accolades, but you know, we were the first team in the NBA to go to five straight finals since the Celtics in 1966. And then, and then the last thing I'll say about Steph. You know, he, by all accounts, is a better human being than he is a basketball Mm -hmm. player. So, you know, he's such a role role model for kids because of his play, because of the three-point shooting and just his overall play. But uh, he's the the kind of function as a parent you want your kids looking up to.
1: Absolutely. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Brandon Schneider, Warriors president and COO. Let's talk about the start this season. I mean, last year, I think there were mixed expectations because you were still coming back from injury. Clay's not back. You're trying to adjust to somewhat of a different roster. But now I think there wasn't anyone who expected quite this hot of a start. What's it been like for you?
5: It's been awesome. I mean, I think we were all confident in our team, and obviously having Steph and 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 the young, the mix of young guys, and then some of the veterans that we added. Uh, so I think everyone felt good coming into the season, especially with Wiseman and Clay coming back. Um, but as you said, I, I don't know if anyone thought we would be 22 and five, uh, best record in the NBA, playing the way that we're playing. So it's it's a testament to certainly uh, Bob Myers and his staff, Steve Kerr and his staff, and then core players led by. By Stefan Draymond, uh, of course, and and back to the strength in numbers. I mean, a lot of people talking about this resembling uh, 2014, 2015 in certain ways uh, with that mantra. And I think that's right. It's, you know, you have different guys stepping up uh, every night, which has been really fun to watch.
2: Brandon, the Warriors announced earlier today a partnership with FTX to become the official cryptocurrency platform and NFT marketplace across all of Warriors' plat- properties. I want uh, you to explain to us what that means and how, so, how cryptocurrency is becoming embedded within professional sports franchises because this is a first-of-its-kind venture, and I have no clue about NFTs still. I've been trying to learn about it, and <laughs> I just can't quite catch on, so I'd love for you to... Uh, educate us a little bit on that.
5: Yeah, so NFT stands for non-fungible token, and these are, these are digital uh, collectibles. So you, you think of like sports cards as an example, um, and so instead of buying a physical card, piece of cardboard, you're buying something that, that is housed uh, digitally on the blockchain. But you, you own it, just as you might own the physical uh, piece. So in this digital world, you've seen this really take off. And these, you know, cryptocurrencies been around since 2009, with starting with Bitcoin. NFTs have been around for years, but really started to take off in the last year or so. And some would say that that the the pandemic kind of accelerated this. But I think for us, the way that we look at it is we are always laser focused and obsessed with creating the best experience for our fans. And that, when you say that, people think of inside the building at Chase Center, which is certainly a big part of it. But for us, um, you know, and, and for the NBA, only less than 1% of NBA fans and Warriors fans will get to go to a game live um, because a, a lot of most of our fans are, are outside the United States. And so looking for ways to also engage our fans and create a great experience um, digitally for fans around the world is, is really important. So we're always trying to innovate there. Um, and so we started looking at N- N- NFTs early this year and ended up being the first um, team in sports to do an NFT collection, which we did in April. Uh, and we did uh, NFTs um, tied to our, champ- our six championship rings. We have the third most championships of any franchise in the NBA. A lot of people don't know that, behind only the Lakers and the Celtics. And, uh, and then we did some, some commemorative tickets from our ten, 10 of our biggest moments in franchise history. Um, and, and it was so well received. And so, so as we, we continue to progress and we go, where do we go from here – you know, this space continues to evolve. Uh, in the famous words of Peter Gruber, one of our owners, this is just the beginning of the beginning. It, it's going <laughs> to evolve a lot. So we, we wanted to find the right partner uh to help us innovate and help us kind of sort through and learn. And that's where you know you enter FTX, who, who's a, a market global leader in this space. Um so we, we were we we're so excited to partner with them. Uh, to do our NFT drops on their platform and to, and to continue to innovate and, and go on this ride, so we're we're really excited. Today's the beginning of what should be a really really fun long multi-year journey.
1: I'm talking to Brandon Schneider, the Warriors' president and COO, about their partnership with FTX, uh, the official cryptocurrency platform NFT marketplace across the Warriors' properties. Um, this is sort of a, a bigger picture pulled-out question, but you know we remember the sort of bubble with the dot-coms and how some of those companies lost a lot of their early fortunes because there wasn't a lot yet known about them. For you in the job that you're in, how do you know when to dive in full-fledgedly into something that's that's new like Bitcoin, like cryptocurrency, like NFTs? And are there times that you've sort of started to delve in into something that that ended up flopping or that that wasn't um, as buoyed by a, a, a longevity that you expected? Because I think it's really hard to, to be able to tell which of the new technologies or platforms really have staying power?
5: Yeah, I think it's a great point, and and I think the analogy to the early dot com days is a really really good one. Um, and and if if we're right that 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 is a good analogy, that means uh, we in, and a lot of people are making a really good bet right now because you know early think about early in the dot com days. I don't think any of us knew at that time what the internet was going to become. Oh, there it is.
1: There it that is. Just broke yep. the record. Mm-hmm. You
5: probably saw it about ten seconds I did. before me. <laughs>
1: they said it in my ear. <laughs> It's yeah, let you thank you
5: for not uh, <laughs> yeah yeah stop breaking it. Um, so, but but yeah, so if 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 it's akin to that, like think about we didn't know at that time what the um, uh, what the internet would become, right? So it was it was early days, and then it's progressed to where it is today. I think if the same analogy happens, this is this thing's going to continue to grow for many, many years, which I think is what a lot of people believe at this point. So I, I think the key then is, you know, in the early days there were a lot of companies .dot com companies that ended up not making it, and that's the key with FTX is, you know, if we were partnering with with one of these smaller startups that, that you haven't heard of, you know, there's there may be more risk to the longevity there, and that's why we wanted to partner with with really a market leader like FTX that's established, uh, been around, uh, and really thought leaders in the space. Uh, so that, that, that was a really critical part of this for us.
1: Well, it's a really tough gig. You've got to keep up with all of it and figure out where to make the moves. Uh, while also, of course, just enjoying, enjoying the games and the players and everything else going on. Thanks for offering us some time, especially during the moment. I'm glad that in this very short interview, we managed to see him tie and then break the record. And we got to enjoy it all uh, live on the air. Thanks so much, Brandon. Really appreciate it.
5: Yeah, it, it was awesome. I, it, an interview I will not forget. Thanks for having me on.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, and Ray Allen on hand to watch Steph Curry break that record just now at MSG. As I've said, it was an inevitability, knowing Steph, but very cool, uh, to officially become the three-point king. Brandon Schneider, Warriors president and COO, brought to you by Goodyear, with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, our very own fits getting closer and closer to a polar plunge and a song extolling my virtues will give you an update on all of it next
0: you're listening to the spain and Fitz podcast
1: steph curry breaks the record while we are live on the air with the warriors president very cool very cool moment for steph his dad is there ray allen is there an unbelievable accomplishment like i said as inevitable as it may be it's still unbelievable doesn't change Our minds about him being the GOAT, we already knew he was, both changing the game and the style of play, but just his incredible efficiency, his rate of hitting threes, all of it, but confirmed officially in the record books as he's just done it at msg tonight if we can get the sound of that for you we'll grab it and play it at some point during the show we'll keep you updated on how many he hits just how far he goes now that there's a little of the pressure off does he just start just start draining them and go off tonight uh spain and Fitz. sarah spain courtney cronin filling in for fits tonight on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 and i'm sad that Fitz is gone and that's no offense to you courtney it's just i prefer to play these picks recap uh when he's around I like to hear him moan and groan and suffer and then realize that no matter how good of a week he has, he can't catch me, even if he goes four and one and still loses ground. Here's what it sounded like this week when we made our week 13 picks.
3: Chiefs play the Raiders. We all know how this is going to go. Extraordinarily bad. I'm going to be done by halftime. You can't handle the truth. The Chiefs aren't just going to beat the Raiders, they're going to embarrass the Raiders. And the Chiefs pour it on. Chiefs win by, I don't know, 30.
1: I also took the Chiefs oh, you over your biscuit. Raiders.
0: That was awful. I mean, dreadful.
1: You'll be sad all of Sunday. I'll be sad Sunday night. The whole nation will be watching as the Bears absolutely get thumped by Aaron Rodgers.
0: What I
4: said will be used against me. That's just part of it. And uh, obviously, I think the, the record kind of speaks for itself.
3: Army's averaging over 300 yards a game rushing. They can run the ball on anybody. They're going to run the ball all over Navy. So, I am picking Army over Navy? Yeah. Yeah. No,
4: that's nonsense. That's garbage.
1: I'm going to go with our tried and true formula and hope that it doesn't let us down. I'm taking the Tennessee Titans over no. the 2-10 Jags. Champagne is flowing. Woo!
0: I can't describe how great it is to win.
1: I'm taking Tampa Bay over Buffalo. Ooh. I had to go to the hard ones. I am rock hard and ready to go. They went with the Chargers oh, over no. the Giants.
0: It all depends upon how quickly the puppies come along.
1: So I'm going to go yep. Dallas over the Washington
4: football team. Man on man.
1: Even though the Seattle Seahawks haven't been good, they do still have a shot at the playoffs, so they're going to beat the Texans who are playing for nothing but a draft spot. Wilson! Wilson!
3: I went Saints over Jets. Losing sucks, and especially to the Jets.
1: Wow. Somehow, someway. By the way, that was week 14 in the NFL uh, Stash, you're probably just counting how many games the Chiefs have played. <laughs> you one-track mind over there. This was uh, this was Week 14. Uh, somehow Fitz went four and one, and he lost ground, Courtney, because I went five and zero. Oh! That's right, five and zero. Oh. If I could do the quick math, which I usually can't, that makes me 37 and 13 on the year. That makes Fitz 29, 20, and one. Woof.
2: He's got a lot of ground to catch up, and he's got four weeks to do it. I don't – I mean, unless you all of a sudden just fall off a cliff here, which I don't know what the game picks are going to be for week 15. But, um, I mean, congratulations. We can already go ahead and give you the title. He's kind of like me in our fantasy football league. You know, the one week I forget to set my lineups, and then I get depressed because I lose that league (laughs) and I lose my other league, and then I just stop (laughs) doing it altogether. He's kind of pulling a Courtney, so uh, I understand that.
1: I feel good about it. He's going to have to compose a song about me and how great I am. Uh, More importantly, we still have our preseason picks for the division and playoffs, and uh, if that goes well for me and I can hang on, he has to do a polar plunge sometime before the end of February. And I feel especially good about that. Uh, This this is all, everything's coming up Spain. It is Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. Want to quickly talk about the NFL after some of those games we saw this week. And I picked some of the more predictable ones. There were some big wins for teams that almost coughed it up at the end, but managed to hang on. And as a result of, of how things went this weekend, including last night, the Rams sort of upsetting, in my opinion, the Cardinals, we have still no one clinched. And we are heading into week 15 unbelievably Courtney we have week 15 without a single team officially in the playoffs the Packers have moved up to the number one seed in the NFC with the Cardinals loss and I think you said 26 teams are currently in the mix
2: there are 26 teams currently in a playoff spot or within a game of one so that's 13 in each conference and just the the amount of games that separate like the first seed from the 13th seed in the AFC is just like bu- it's just bizarre how this has played out. Where typically by now you have at least somebody having clinched the top overall, at, the top, at least like clinching their division. The fact is we've got 14 teams within a game of 500. That's the most through week 14 all time. There's a three way tie for the best record in each conference, which is the first time that's happened since the merger. You have five teams with seven and six records in the AFC, five teams with six and seven records in the NFC. So it's just like a free for all here going
1: into the final quarter of the season. I would like to see the current in the hunt graphic. Uh, usually, you know, it's pretty small, just in the corner, one or two teams. But right now, you'd it's like have five. to. Five. Almost. Every... <laughs> Honestly, Courtney, the fact that it took the Lions' loss this week to officially be out, and they are one, 11, and one is unbelievable like that is mind-blowing uh there's actually a great story up right now by kevin Seifert on espn.com that has the nfl playoff picture a lot of those statistics you just said standings bracket clinching scenarios all of that but it's unbelievable to look at as you mentioned you know the number one afc is just nine and four that's a good record but not great number two the titans are also nine and four the chiefs are also nine and four so you've got the top three teams that are good, but no one's really great. And then on the NFC side, we just saw that team in the Cardinals that we thought could really take that that next step to to get that 11th win and said now they're 10 and 3 just like the Bucs, just like the Packers atop the the NFC. Um when you look at some of these teams that are kind of in the mix, I think the top ones are I'm feeling good about being able to sustain at least to hang on. Where are the ones that you see dropping off. Probably as expected, the
2: six and seven seed in both wild card pictures. I think that any of those could be interchangeable. I mean, in the NFC right now, the 49ers are hot, so I expect them to right. be that, a wild that, that card seems- team. Like but a team that's, that's going to
1: get better, they do have they do have to face the Rams and the Titans in their last mm-hmm. four, um, and then they've got the Texans and Falcons, which should be easy. But the Rams and and Titans are going to make things tough for them.
2: Yeah, but I mean, like that seven seed with Washington. Like, sure, are they quote unquote surging? Even though they just lost to to Dallas and what they've done the last couple weeks. Yes, because you have to look at everybody below them. You don't trust the Vikings. You don't trust the Eagles. The Saints are injured. The Falcons are the Falcons, and the Panthers are basically out of it, even though they're technically still in it. Like It's so much more interesting, I think, for the 6-7 and seven seed week 15 through 18 in the AFC than it is in the NFC because the Browns are still a playoff contender. The Bengals are still very much in this. The Broncos have been quietly good these last few weeks, and I'd love to see them get into the playoffs. So. This Bills team is scary because they're right now the seven seed. They go from where they were like the two seed two weeks ago before mm-hmm. that Buffalo game, and now they're seven and six. They're a and wild card team. Schedule. Other yeah. than the Patriots, they've got the, and they've Panthers, got the Falcons, Patriots
1: and Jets. again. Yep. That's it, though. The other the other things are winnable. The other thing that's fascinating is the NFC East. If you look right now, the Washington football team plays the Eagles twice and the Cowboys in the yep. last four weeks of the season. The first that first time the entire division in 20 years. could get totally blown up. Yep, and that's the crazy thing about that. Just with their so many important division games, the final four weeks of the season for them. Uh, it's it's wild. It's it's a lot of it has not been seen in a very long time. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to the Man in the Arena podcast, a ten-part series exploring how sports impacts our everyday lives through the lens of Tom Brady's career. Brought to you by ZipRecruiter and available wherever you get your podcasts. I think this is the episode, the most recent one, where he reacts to, to Giselle saying, my husband cannot throw the ball and catch it too. Uh, so that's always one to look forward to, see what he has to say about that. Uh, coming up, a little bit more on those wild NFL playoff races. It's Spain and Fitz.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: We were just talking about it, the wild playoff picture in the NFL, 26 teams in it or in the hunt haven't seen this in a long time and last night's game just kept it interesting no team has clinched after we saw the rams beat the cardinals gonna to talk to an expert about all of it now spain and Fitz, sarah spain courtney cronin filling in for fits on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 we're presented by progressive insurance guests join us on the goodyear hotline that's where the ringer senior nfl writer kevin clark is now kevin thanks for joining us
3: thanks for having me sarah
1: Let's start with last night. I've been really high on the Cardinals for quite some time. Last night was not great, uh, especially the finish. There were certainly some coaching questions. uh, The way Kyler Murray talked about the confusion in the headset and between him and the offensive line and everything wasn't great. But I feel like a lot of prisoner of the moment takes are happening right now. People saying they'd rather have Stafford than him. People saying that the Cardinals can't compete. What did you take away from that game?
3: Well, I think the the Rams are starting to be the team with Stafford that I thought they could always be. Um, I thought the ceiling on that team was really, really high. I think a lot of the takes you're hearing, Sarah, coming out of that game are kind of priors from September. And people are saying, oh, this Rams team should win the Super Bowl. We saw Stafford make some amazing throws. And now people are saying, oh, good, I get to justify my takes. Mm. Um, I think Kyler Murray is amazing. I think if he was healthy all season, he'd be the MVP. Um, I think Cliff is not nearly as good a coach as Sean McVay. That's not news. Uh, but I think Kyler Murray is so much better than Matthew Stafford that that closes the gap there. Um, so I, I'm I'm kind of, With the last couple of weeks, I've there's so many COVID positives, so many injuries. Um, I'm reserving judgment right now on sort of the litmus test as far as who's better than who on a weekly basis. Um, But right now, I felt better about the the, the Rams coming out of that game, and I'm kind of withholding judgment on the Cardinals at least for a couple of weeks.
2: Arizona kind of does this every year, at least in in recent years with Kyler Murray being there. And they start out being the best team in the NFL this year, and takes that quote-unquote Murray magic to win them some games, and then he gets hurt. So obviously there's Mm -hmm. the three games that he's not there, but it kind of feels like there's something broken within their offense. How do they get back on track?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting because I've actually – I felt that Cliff, when he got to the NFL, he adapted in a way that I didn't anticipate. He was a better uh, head coach coming in than, than I thought he'd be, and then I felt like he plateaued a little bit. Um, and I feel like Kyler Murray's ability to to bail out the offense and to make plays is really remarkable. And I kind of think, and I know this sounds counterintuitive, because my big thing is, is you know, obviously franchises doing everything they can for a, a quarterback to to be put in position to win. But I kind of feel like saying, hey, Kyler, what do you want to do? Go do it. Um, that's that's how you get out of this rut in my opinion. And so I think that uh, Clifton can sit down with Kyler the next couple of weeks and Kyler's going to be healthier and healthier as, he's, as the season goes on um, and figure out what, what exactly he wants to do and let him run everything. I mean, that's the thing with these young quarterbacks, Sarah and Courtney, is that they understand how to run this offense. That's Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, um, Justin Herbert in Los Angeles right now where he's basically running the offense he wants to run. Um, just let Kyler do his thing, let him cook, because these young quarterbacks know exactly what they want to do. Let him do it.
1: Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz talking to Kevin Clark of The Ringer. Let's talk Urban Meyer. I I understand that uh, no matter how rich you are, basically a hundred million dollar swing of fifty million to get rid of a guy and another fifty to get yeah. a new one in there is a lot. But I also think that just continuing with a terrible and very obvious mistake doesn't solve that problem. It just delays the inevitable. Urban Meyer should not be the coach of this team. Any longer than this season, right? There's no argument that I can uh, I mean, or otherwise. He
3: shouldn't be the he shouldn't be the head coach next week. Right now, I mean, like, yeah, that whoa, too, that whoa, too. <laughs> what, is, what is this? I mean, like it is unbelievable. And, and you say, okay, uh, Charles Robinson had the report that, that there's probably five more years left in his contract, nine million dollars a year. Fine, but you got the greatest resource in the NFL, maybe in all professional sports, which is a young, talented elite quarterback on a rookie contract, who has the capability to at some point down the road win you a Super Bowl, if everything breaks right, you do right by him. You're doing the exact opposite of doing right by him. You are ruining it. I mean, look at the Colts after Andrew Luck. They gave him a terrible GM in Ryan Gregson, didn't give him the coaching staff he needed, and they're still picking up the pieces from it. I mean, and he becomes a what if. And Trevor Lawrence is being failed right now. That, that, that's what upsets me so much, Sarah, is how often you know, a quarterback doesn't fail, they are failed. And to give Trevor Lawrence – I saw a report the other day They said that Trevor Lawrence goes through every interception with the media after he throws it and says what he did wrong and what he needs to fix. Is he the only person in that organization right now who's taking any responsibility for anything? Mm-hmm. He's the only person who's not pointing fingers? He's just standing up there and telling everybody what he did wrong? That, to me, is the tragedy of this all. Uh, you know, the the staff stuff is crazy. There's a Tom Pellicero report over the weekend – Urban Meyer calling these guys losers. I mean, it, listen, man, if you put together a staff of losers, maybe you're the loser. Um, so i th- th- this this <laughs> got to end at some point.
2: Yeah, I mean, after you get blown out by Tennessee, um, don't you have to like turn the finger inward and point at yourself and be like, well, maybe maybe I'm the problem here? Um, you brought up something with Trevor that made me kind of think about rookie quarterbacks as a whole. And obviously, there aren't many that have panned out to the level of expectation that we all had for the top five that were taken in the first round of the draft, except for Mac Jones. But between Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, when you look at a year two projection, who's going to come out of this first year most unscathed and able to kind of start over? Because it feels inevitable that both quarterbacks are going to have new staffs next year. At least we think Um, who's going to be able to kind of hit that reset button the quickest and be able to bounce back from what they've gone through this year. Yeah,
3: it's a great question. You know, I think that Fields is probably in a little bit better situation because K is an NFL coach. That's a coach who's made the playoffs. They at least understand the infrastructure. Trevor Lawrence is living through a circus right now. Like, I mean, this is a – I'm not a huge distraction believer. I don't believe in distractions normally. But this is a huge distraction to have Urban Meyer as your head coach for the entire season embarrassment after embarrassment – Um, And so I think Lawrence is the one who if if there are kind of any scars from the 2021 season, that's the one that I worry about. I just think it's a complete disaster. You know, they have the Texans this week and then the Jets next week. And if they look bad against those teams, like what? At some point, there's just no hope, Um, and so I'm I'm actually significantly more worried about Lawrence than about Fields just because I think the Bears, Sarah, I know this is going to sound crazy, the Bears have a better infrastructure than the Jaguars.
1: Mm, It's unbelievable. Uh, Listen, I get it. Matt Nagy at one point did win coach of the year. They have made the playoffs two out of three seasons. I get it. I get it. Uh, I still want him gone, so let's not hype him up too much, but it's still infinitely better than Urban Meyer. Kevin Clark of The Ringer is with us here on Spain and Fits on the Goodyear Hotline. Um, We were just talking about the the wild playoff picture and and the fact Mm -hmm. that there are uh there's every single nft nfl team has at least three losses through week 14 there's a three-way tie for the best record in both conferences five teams with the same record vying for a wild card spot in both conferences uh, as you look at it which of the divisions or which of the wild card spots p- take your pick on which one do you think is is going to see the most movement in the last four weeks
3: i mean the the bottom of the afc is unbelievable for the colts to get a playoff spot, the 6th seed, not even the 7th seed, when they're on a bye kind of tells you all you need to know. Because um, I think there's going to be a lot of movement there. Uh, it's funny, I was talking to a colleague the other day who was saying, "Oh, uh, there's you know there's going to be a Baltimore-Cleveland game that, that determines the, the the playoffs." But no, there's, there could be a Browns-Bengals game. There could be, I mean, any of those teams. The Steelers um, still have a chance to make it. I mean, that, there's going to be so much movement there. Buffalo, who knows if they get better um, as season goes along and, and move up in the playoffs there. I think the bottom of the AFC is really, really, really interesting to me um, because there are really talented teams. So, I mean, I don't think anybody wants to see Joe Burrow in the playoffs. I don't think anybody wants to see, um, you know, the, the Browns and, and how talented they are. I think when you look at the NFC guys, uh, you know, no one's scared of Washington. No one's real. I mean, it's just not – uh, you know, a, a, the sort of team where you're like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe they're going to steal a game. Um, in the AFC, that's a deep, deep, deep division. And I think that um, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how that bottom half shakes out because any of those teams can realistically win a playoff game.
1: Yeah, and the fascinating thing is any of those teams could end up a very low seed and then go blasting through the uh, the top that's seeds right. in, in, and, and get rid of them early on. Uh, Kevin, thanks for the insight. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the time.
3: Anytime. Thanks, Sarah and Courtney.
1: The Ringer, senior NFL writer Kevin Clark with us here. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, the latest reports involving an NFL owner under investigation. It's Spain and Fitz.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: With these old stories about your NFL teams, we are getting really good ones, including a player that was served legal papers during a football game. There's some really good ones. We're gonna get to all of that later in the show because you guys are killing it at Sarah Spain at Courtney R Cronin at Spain and Fitz you can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation and uh, give us your stories about your NFL team some of the absurd crazy old um, old uh, old stories like that at Joe Strepa uh, hit us up there for the uh, Raiders John Matt Suzik who was served legal papers by NFL lawyers during a football game. That is wild. Uh, Speaking of wild, Dan Snyder still owns the Washington football team, despite everything. And everything just got to be more, because there's a news story in the Washington Post outlining new developments in the investigation into the team, and that's going to be Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, Courtney, the reporting from the Washington Post on this team has been incredible, and the latest story adds to it in ways that are – Somehow not at all surprising and yet still shocking, Um, despite Dan Snyder's public pledge to cooperate with all aspects of the investigation, his attorneys have attempted to prevent the investigator from speaking to accusers, including one from a 2009 accusation that previously had gone unreported involving an incident on a private plane with Snyder. Allegedly, he play, uh, paid the client more than $1.6 million to be quiet about it. Of course, the NFL has allowed any of the um, NDAs and otherwise to be lifted in order for this investigation to happen. But according to this story, uh, and according to the woman's lawyer, Brendan Sullivan, Snyder's lawyers have now been offering his client more money beyond the 1.6 million paid in 2009 if she agreed not to speak anyone about these allegations in 2009. This is uh, one of several instances in which the story says Snyder's lawyers and representatives have attempted to uh, intervene with the investigation, including showing up uninvited at the homes of several former players, contacting friends and relatives, uh, intimidation tactics, trying to discourage former employees from participating in the investigation um, and and stuff that's frankly terrifying, Courtney. Um, if you have someone who has the kind of power and influence and money of Snyder and he is calling ex-wives that you haven't spoken to in years, showing up at family members' homes, um, and then, in fact, suing Wilkinson, the investigator, into the, into the Washington football team culture and history, uh, trying to get her to be unable to, to use some of the interviews and, and information that she finds out in the investigation. Um, all of it is, again, not shocking but it's, or, or not surprising, but shocking. Nobody
2: should be surprised, though, that Daniel Snyder tried to circumvent the NFL's investigation process and get in the way of it. When he said back in, what was it, July of 2020, when the first report came out from the Washington Post with like just a bombshell report and then it was one after the other, he said he was going to be, quote, committed to fully cooperating. When the NFL ended up then in taking over the investigation. Obviously, he's not. And these are horrible tactics that, like, how can you stand by if you're Roger Goodell, if uh-huh. you're the NFL, if you're the league office and say, okay, let's just, like, let this thing play out? Like, it'll eventually come to a head. Uh, I think it's already there. Like, that's the thing. Like, every time a new story comes out about Washington, it gets worse and worse and worse. And there's many people that go on the record or off the record or whatever is needed for these stories to get published. To corroborate stories, to be able to show that there's evidence of just straight-up wrongdoing and, and shady behavior, and the fact that Daniel Snyder's getting involved in the investigation by hiring his own people to intimidate witnesses, to try to prevent people from talking, to try to retaliate against people who have talked within the organization, like... This is straight-up mafia-type behavior, yet the NFL is kind of guilty here in many ways by letting this continue to play out because it continues to let Daniel Snyder own this football team that has been under investigation for years.
1: Yeah, and when we've talked about this before, Courtney, and trying to figure out, is it just that other owners don't want their own houses investigated, and if they Probably. were to speak out and say that Daniel Snyder needed to be removed, then they would run the risk of being investigated themselves? Is it just that Roger Goodell doesn't have the cojones to do something about this um is does he have dirt on somebody right i mean what we know for sure is that previous nfl investigations whether that was deflate gate or ray rice or jerry richardson resulted in detailed public reports telling exactly what was found why action was taken um and, and and released but this has been secretive from the beginning Um, It has prevented Snyder from being embarrassed publicly. Um, It has resulted in absurd situations, like the idea that we should believe that John Gruden and Bruce Allen, over the course of hundreds of thousands of searched emails, were the only people who wrote anything that was deemed inappropriate and worthy of punishment. Like, anyone would be willing to believe that. But that is actually, that report... Um, about Gruden that resulted in his firing, after which the NFL claimed that those were the only you know, meaningful things to have resulted, and those were leaked. They weren't even going to tell us about those, um, has drawn interest from Congress. And, and now Congress wondering why there's so much secrets around this, why the NFL is refusing to be transparent and public mm-hmm. with the findings. They are protecting Snyder. And to your point, point Courtney, Whether or not you've lost all faith in the NFL, and it would be fine if you did, because whether it's Kaepernick or Deshaun Watson or Gruden or Robert Kraft and his behaviors, we're used to there being an extremely low bar for not just morality, but the handling of criminal behavior. That being said, it's still incredibly embarrassing for them to continue to carry water for Dan Snyder. It's embarrassing for the league, it's embarrassing for everyone who works there. I think about all of the ways that I have honestly and genuinely said positive things about the league's handling of women in recent years in terms of staffing and coaching. Sam Rappaport doing an incredible job there of elevating women through the pipeline, of creating the Women in Football Forum, of making it so that we see more women on the sidelines in coaching positions, including in the Super Bowl, Bruce Arian's staff representing the best of what you can see. That is all still true, but I feel terrible for people like Sam who have to work for an answer to a place that is complicit now in this. Mm -hmm. And it's a miscarriage of justice for the accusers that they have to see that no one really cares. No one really cares if you know all this stuff happened. No one cares because they also have said, we want this to be public. We in no way want to prevent this from going public for our own protection. And they have hid behind the idea that some of the accusers don't want it. And all of them have said no, we do. We want people to know about this. We want it to get out. And, it, and honestly, Courtney, I know I'm probably speaking on deaf ears here because they don't seem to care and they will continue to carry water for him regardless of how it reflects poorly on them. But at some point, it has to be enough. I'm very intrigued as to how Jerry Richardson was run off as quickly as he was. I think the big thing here, and like there, the pe-
2: to the people who ask the question of why can't the NFL just remove Daniel Snyder if there's this much evidence of his wrongdoing, it's because the NFL is probably taking the steps that it is right now because they're hiding something significant, like really, right. really big that would yes. end up. It's not just about like protecting Daniel Snyder and you know whatever you they believe about else. that. It's about mm-hmm. protecting the rest of these, like basically these oligarchs, these institutions where they don't want disgruntled former employees to come out and start making allegations, because this could happen literally everywhere. And if we see it successfully take down someone who deserves to be taken down, then everybody else risks risks losing their own power. And I think the NFL is honestly terrified by that, in spite of it being probably for the greater good, by uncovering a lot of bad things that they've
1: been hiding for years and years. I completely agree. And it's why, in the case of someone like Gruden, you know, suing, they might just close out and give them a bunch of money. They don't want um, things to get out. They don't want it to go public in terms of a lawsuit that might be able to have parts that are required to be public and and then they'd have to be transparent about it. Um, This is not a, a story that's over with and I do hope that there will be pressure on Goodell and others to speak about it. It's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, Steph makes history and COVID continues to impact the NBA. We'll get into it next.
0: Spain and Fits the podcast.
1: Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including NBA.com writer Mark Medina, who joins us now. Mark, what's up?
4: Guy, uh, make history tonight. It's been fun.
1: I was going to say, we need some bright spots in our lives. Steph is giving us one of those and he has. Basically for his entire existence as a basketball player, I I saw someone tweet very very rightly and accurately, being alive while Steph Curry does what he does is really one of the biggest joys of the last decade or so. So um, it was inevitable. It doesn't really change anyone's opinion of him, but it's still pretty cool. Do you agree with that take?
4: Yeah, I I think even before he uh, got to number one on the uh, NBA's three-point list, uh, I think he had proven for a while now that he's the greatest shooter of all time. But, you know, talking to him just as the season was starting, he was pretty honest in saying, like, this record means a lot to him. This wasn't one of those, like, individual platitudes that don't really mean that much in the grand scheme of things. This is something that he really wanted to pursue. And he even said that, you know, knowing that he idolized Ray Allen and Reggie Miller growing up, this was a record that was on his radar, like, even before he entered – the nba so you know it was pretty clear before tonight's game against new york that it meant a lot to him just by the fact that he was shooting a lot of shots uh against portland indiana and some of them weren't going in um so yeah real really cool moment to see him uh do this thing at msg
2: mark you have a story up at nba.com about the off season for steph curry and how he had to change some of the things he was doing with his shot in preparing for the 2021-22 season coming off of, you know, a pretty down year for the Warriors as a whole and a down year for Curry last year, too. What led to him wanting to change his approach? And I guess, like, what was the, fo- the, the thought that went into that process about, OK, this is one of the greatest shooters of all time. How can you fine tune something that is already so perfect in so many different ways?
4: Yeah, it's a really good question. He, uh, You know, Steph Curry and his trainer, Brandon Payne, made it clear, like, it's not like he suddenly reinvented the wheel. They did mostly the things that they had always done, where it's about being efficient, um, being purposeful with their workouts, and uh, kind of uh, adopting the old adage of less is more and, and work smarter, not harder. But it was also trying to find ways to perfect – everything. So one of the main changes was that they decided that not all shots are created equal. They made shots. So unless his three-pointers went through the middle of the rim clean, it was counted as a miss. And while why that means so much is that if he missed shots, he would have to redo the drill. He had to make ten in a row. All of them had to go cleanly through the rim, and he also had to follow that uh, guideline even when he was taking an off-balance shots. so for Steph this became a conditioning drill that if he wants to prevent himself from having to run all the time he's got to make these shots perfectly and so when you see him in games particularly this year take off-balance shots or take shots through double teams and you think what is he doing uh, he knows what he's doing not just because he's Steph Curry and he's an amazing shooter but he's practiced those type of shots so it's a really cool window into seeing how you know his perfectionist mindset has made him an even more dangerous player
1: it's Spain and Fitz Courtney Cronin in for Fitz as we talked to Mark Medina NBA.com writer during the break we were talking about now Giannis being out in protocols adding it to the list of so many teams that are plagued by COVID right now and uh it was actually our, uh, our our board op, Chris, who said this is starting to feel a little like last March, where you're kind of like looking around like, what do we do? Obviously, the vaccinations help. Obviously, there's a lot more known about COVID now than there was in March of last year when we frantically reacted to Rudy Gobert and everything shut down. But does it feel like something more drastic than just, well, let's get into some increased protocols needs to happen right now?
4: Yeah, it's a good question because uh, I think the very needed caveat for my end is, look, this is serious, the pandemic's real, I'm vaccinated, got the booster, like, you, you got to take this seriously. But um, I think the NBA is in a weird situation where I don't s- suddenly see the season being in peril because when you look at last year, they dealt with a lot more postponed games because that season took place, A, before the vaccine even existed, And once it did exist, it took some time for it to get distributed. So I don't think it's going to reach those levels. But clearly this comes on the heels that uh, we're in the holiday season, the cases are increased, and while vaccines and boosters are necessary and effective, that doesn't necessarily mean you won't get it. And so I think where the NBA is at right now is they're – leading the charge more and more of telling the players they got to get their booster shots. As of now, it's 60%, and they're hoping that it's even more, and that um, yeah, the protocols will be tightened even for vaccinated players. Um, Will it get to more than that? As of now, no, but I don't think the NBA will ever rule that out, but it will have to get to the point where it's not just one team having to deal with postponed games. It's Multiple teams, and I think right now they're confident that it won't reach that point. But this is a fluid situation, as unfortunately has been for the last two years, so we'll have to wait and see.
2: Mark, I wanted to go back to Curry before we let you go, um, and just kind of get your take on when Steve Kerr came to the Warriors in 2014 and the shift from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr at that point of Stephen Curry's career. How much do you think that that helped? in the maturation process of where Curry was then, however many years ago that was, and then to get to the point now in 2021 where he's taken the game when he had a coach who knew a thing or two about shooting three-pointers during his career with the the Bulls. I mean, how much do you think that helped him in kind of the, the freedom he's had to be the type of player he wants to be in the NBA?
4: Yeah, I think it's a great point, and I think the larger thing is, you know, Steve Kerr's influence here made them a much more efficiently run offense, and certainly that's been a factor in their championship runs. As it pertains to Steph Curry, you know, there's been push pull over the years where Steph would even admit at times that um, he feels constrained sometimes with Steve Kerr's conservative uh, minute approach with him, and also, uh, you know, his system where it's about movement and cutting and strength in numbers as opposed to just running pick and roll and laying them take a lot of shots so I hearken back to a quote that assistant coach Bruce Frazier told me uh, I think two years ago where you know Steph's numbers could be even higher right now if he was allowed to just do his own thing without those restrictions but I think I would also make the argument that he wouldn't be as efficient, and even when you look at the fact that, yeah, he dealt with some injuries in that 29-20 season, maybe he wouldn't be as spry and durable uh, if not for the fact that this system is about getting everyone involved and not just relying on Steph. So Steve Kerr definitely deserves a lot of credit for that, and I think short-term sometimes Steph feels constrained But long-term, he knows that it's for the greater good, and he has that validation because he's won all his titles with him.
1: I always say this, but I think the NBA is so much more fun when Steph is healthy and playing and doing his thing and when the Warriors are good. It's a really fun team, and it's the kind of team I like to watch, and it's been really fun this year to see them. I'm just waiting for Clay to come back. Uh, It's going to get even better. Mark, thanks so much for the time. Uh, Thanks so much. Keep killing it. Mark Medina, NBA.com writer with us here on Spain & Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. You can be a part of the show as well. Join Spain & Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football bowl season is here and fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Some of you have already been a part of Spain & Fitz Nation, hitting us up at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin, at Spain & Fitz with lesser known tales from the history of your football franchise and we got some crazy ones we're going to share them with you next including somehow some way another hot air balloon disaster for the Vikings we'll get into it next
0: Spain and Fits the podcast
1: you guys are crushing it uh there's stories I have never heard of from the NFL Stories of uh, your team's past and history that I never would have known without asking this question. So first, thanks to Courtney Cronin for bringing us the joy of the 11-year-old who was in a halftime hot air balloon show for the Vikings years ago and accidentally flew out of the stadium three miles away through air traffic uh, plans and into a frozen river. Uh, bringing us to this point where we are learning so many wonderful, amazing things about your favorite teams. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on ESPN radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. If you want to hear more about that story, uh, you can find it on my Twitter at Sarah Spain. Uh, you can also listen to the show in our podcast, which you should already follow and subscribe and download every night. It'll be up about an hour after the show. Uh, we won't rehash all of it. But as I said, a, a 11-year-old was in a hot air balloon, was supposed to come back down. It never did. Flew away. He landed in a river. Thankfully, he lived. He didn't get blown up by the lights. He didn't drown in the river. He didn't die in the middle of a highway. He didn't get hit by a plane. All of that is good. Uh, unfortunately for the Vikings, that was not the only hot air balloon-related incident that they had. The first time the Vikings made the Super Bowl, this happened.
0: He wasn't the only one falling flat as a hot air balloon destined to soar struggled to get off the ground.
4: It was a little windy that day and the floats and the hot air
0: balloons started going over toward the stands. The balloon holding a Viking mascot caromed out of control, resembling a sinking Nordic ship with no life preserver. The
4: balloon got loose and dragged a couple of people through the stands and almost out of the, the stands.
0: Fans in the stands began fleeing for their lives. The balloon then crashed in the lower deck, scattering terrified Southern Bells who had just finished their pregame pageant. Super Bowl IV organizers hoped to create a surreal experience, but this wasn't what they had in mind.
1: Oh my Can we God. also talk about how there was a pageant pregame <laughs> as part of the festivities with southern a southern, Bell's southern Bells. pageant? They were they were running amok because I mean, yeah. just I'm sure the, that wasn't at all racist either. Um, uh,
2: the old time uh. football account that tweeted that out. I mean, the music that in this one was probably <laughs> more appropriate. It's the chaotic right. versus like the happy go lucky music right. of the one from the 49ers Vikings game that actually got them to their first Super Bowl. This is, I mean, just the, the thing resembling a sinking Nordic ship without a life preserver. And just like every, whoever wrote this could turn a phrase. Amazing. That was
1: just incredible. Um, also, if you watch the visuals of that, and I did retweet it um, on my page at Sarah Spain, <laughs> um, you can see that not only is there concern that the basket with the Viking in it will drag the people along, as stated, but there's fire in a hot air balloon. And it is moving horizontally towards the stands with the potential to just light people on fire. Like it was not a good scene. I would (laughs) highly advise the Vikings, if they have not already put the kibosh on any hot air balloon related activities, that they should do so. That should be just across the board. No matter what, we do not do anything hot air balloon related. Of course... The Vikings are not the only team that has some interesting facts. As I said before, the, uh, the Raiders player, John Matt Susick, uh was served legal papers by NFL lawyers during a football game. That's very Raiders. Um, at RossMC11, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with some news from Spain and Fitz Nation said, uh, the Vikings cheerleaders were called the Vike Queens at one point. I look this up. Uh, in 1961, uh, before the first-ever game against the Chicago Bears, they, uh, there's photos of the bike Queens, and for the first two years of their existence, they were known instead, as, instead of the Vikings as the bike Queens, which is, as he points out, only the second-worst cheerleader name in the league. Uh, that title is still held by the Embraceable yews, who were the cheerleaders for the LA Rams, E-W-E-S. Uh, I found a story about this, Courtney, uh, L.A. Mag Archives. I'm just going to read a little bit about it. This is about David Mirish who finagled a meeting with the Rams owner, Carol Rosenblum, in 1978 to try to pitch to him that the Rams of that era should have their cheerleaders just like the Cowboys did. The Cowboys were the only team with a professional cheerleader squad, and this is uh, uh, what he said about it. Uh, Mirage had been to the Coliseum several times to watch the Rams in 1971 when he was doing PR for Deacon Jones' soul music showcase at the Coconut Grove nightclub in the Ambassador Hotel. But even the sight of the fearsome foursome was not as awe-inspiring as the sight of the 805 women who showed up at the Coliseum on the foggy morning of April 22, 1978, to audition for the Rams cheer team, many in see-through blouses and hot pants or skimpy string bikinis. It was an amazing sight, remembers Mirish, The first 50 rows of the Coliseum filled with these beautiful creatures. Jesus creatures is what he said <laughs> over the course of a week would-be rams cheerleaders submitted questionnaires completed interviews showed off their dancing skills and took 30 second turns walking down a catwalk before a panel of 25 judges that included olympic track and field star dwight stones dodger wife cindy garvey and ex-laker wilt chamberlain who mirrors remembers spending a great deal of energy gathering phone numbers <laughs> I mean, this is the most is that real uh, this is real, and again, this is what I was asking. What's something that maybe seemed quaint at the time, and now you're like, ah, <laughs> and this would be it. Uh, they did have a reunion lately of the Embraceable U's, E-W-E-S. E-W-E-S. Uh, this story is only from 2015, just in case you're wondering. 20- I still think that the, um, the uh, hot air balloon and open flame takes the cake but i mean that is incredible it does but it's incredible uh at um i'm gonna say it's balls johnson i'm I'm it's spelled b-a-u-l-z underscore j-o-n-s-u-n but i'm gonna say he's going for balls johnson he also hit us up on the dr pepper twitter feed with some news from spain and fitz nation his response just being i'm a jets fan where do i start uh fair fair you have any number of stories of your history uh, and lore um at 76 philly the delco man who lived behind a concession stand in Veterans stadium from 1979 to 1981 i also looked up this story daily local news a story uh from this year uh recounts a man who lived in a secret apartment inside Veterans stadium delaware county native tom garvey Wrote a book, The Secret Apartment, Vet Stadium, a surreal memoir. And he actually lived. Uh, he started out by working as a parking lot super, uh, supervisor at the Vet in 1979. Started spending nights in an empty concession stand, which he eventually turned into a furnished apartment where he lived from 1979 to 1981. And they were just okay with that? Like, did they make him pay rent? No, it was secret. They didn't know it was there. But it, it was furnished. carpeted with leftover astroturf from the field. Had a bed, a sink, a refrigerator, a coffee maker, stereo, and more. He never took photos of the apartment. Was very selective with whom he allowed to visit for fear of getting caught. The vet was imploded in 2004, so the only proof he has is his own vivid memory. However, a select few rare visitors who did visit are able to confirm that the secret apartment did exist, including Eagles Hall of Famer Bill Bradley and former electric factory GM Michael McNally. Um, With so many events going on, he was supposed to spend a lot of time on site, so he kind of noticed uh, that no one ever saw whether he went home or when he was there and when he was gone so he just decided to stay there um this book sounds fascinating to me courtney it's unbelievable i mean
2: i can't wait till we do a podcast on all yeah, we these, need to one we of these need days to. because there's Someone just so much content that. and so many great stories like i had absolutely no idea about that i'm just looking this one up now too i mean that's incredible that he lasted that many years Without yeah. getting caught, without he had a, it's not like he lived in a box. He had a fully furnished
1: quote-unquote apartment. How did, how a great did he pull that for off? The vet, by the way, that there was it's an empty concession security. stand for that many years, right? Like they just they they just left it. They never wanted to do some upgrades on that. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. Uh, the final one at Star Eagle with just a depressing stat. This is Ford Field's 20th season. The career leader in postseason wins at the stadium is Ben Roethlisberger with 1 yikes that's so depressing also our favorite angry bears fan dadman pointed out the audacity of the bears to go ahead and uh, do the Super Bowl shuffle with multiple games remaining in the regular season. I chatted with Otis Wilson about that. He drank a full bottle of vodka on his own before they started taping because he was so embarrassed. Uh, those were so good. Thank you, guys. Uh, by the way, don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. My guest this week, top chef's uh, Edward Lee. You want good stories. He worked in an S&M bar. He found a mouse in the pancake mix at a deli. All good stuff.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.